We've been in this series on the missing piece, P-E-E-A-C-E, and how God wants to give peace into our lives in the midst of turmoil and difficult circumstances. And our theme verse has been this verse about Jesus from, uh, from so, so many years before he was born. This was the prophecy about who Jesus would be. In, in the book of Isaiah, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace came to give you peace. No matter what circumstances you are facing, it's that kind of peace. It's not peace that's based on our current circumstances. It's peace that's based on what only he can do in our hearts. And these last two weeks we've done in this series, Pastor Andy's talked about peace for your head, peace for humanity. If you haven't heard those messages, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to them. This week we're going to look together at peace with your family. And let me just say, if I told you in the next few minutes we're going to figure out and we're going to solve every family issue that every one of us has, you would just laugh because you know that's impossible. You can't figure them all out in just a few minutes. So we're going to do something different. We're going to look together. Here's something I believe we can do. We're going to look at four truths from God's Word that tell you and I how we can have inner peace with our family no matter what's happening in our family because the truth is there's lots of struggles in our families. There's lots of pain in our families. And I cannot promise to solve every family issue in a few minutes. Those are generational issues, many of them, and other people are part of the solution to many of those. You can't solve them all by yourself. But I can, we can look together at some truths that can lead to a peace of heart, whatever circumstances you're facing. Now, if you've been at Saddleback for a long time, you know a little bit of my story, and you know this is close to my heart. I grew up in a home that had a lot of chaos. I had a dad that suffered with severe schizophrenia. He was in and out of mental hospitals all of my life, and when he was at home, it was pretty confusing, pretty chaotic a lot of times. So this truth about how to find peace even when things are in chaos, this is a truth that I've had to live. This is a journey I've had to walk. And there are four truths we're gonna look together at today that I've seen make a real difference in my life. I've seen make a real difference in many people's lives. So here's the first truth. How do you have peace in your family no matter what the circumstances? Number one, you settle your identity. You start by settling your identity. Because your family gave you your name, your family and your identity, those are issues that just sort of go together. And in order to experience peace, you have to settle your identity in a different way. Because here, here's the problem. Here's the issue a lot of us face. We get together with our family, maybe for Thanksgiving, maybe for Christmas. Everybody's there together. And you're looking around at your family. And you look at these people and you think, who are these people? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't even want to be with these people, some of them. I don't even want to want to be around them sometimes. I don't want to be like these people. I don't even like some of these people. That's how you feel. And this, this irritation starts to boil inside of you because the family that you are with is not the family that you want to be like. That's for sure. And in order to experience peace, that is the first issue that you and I have to settle in our lives. And God has some things to say to us about this. He has some, some things to say to us about identity. He has some things to say to us about names, about your name, about who you are. To have peace, it starts by settling this issue of who you are. God has some awesomely encouraging things to say to each of us about who we really are. And I want, I, I pray that this will, this will sink 
into our hearts this weekend, maybe like never before, who you really are because of the love of Christ. So here's what, I, here's what I'd like to do to, to help to settle this in our hearts. I want us to watch something about this together. I, I want us to sing something about this together. And then I want to come back and look at some truth about this together. And, and, and here's, here's the truth that I want us to watch and sing and say together. The truth is this, the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus is where you find your greatest identity. Let's start by watching this. is the promised king of his people. What is his name? Jesus. His name is Jesus. Would you stand with us? 
What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a that clip a hundred times and cry every time she says those simple words. 
His name is Jesus. That is the name that changes everything. His name is the name that's above all names. His name is the name that we will worship forever. But his name has also been given to you who are in Christ. He has given you his name so that you have a new identity. You are a new person in Christ. That is what he has done. And that is what we need to settle into our hearts. Here's the truth about you in Christ. First Peter 4 says, it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. You are called by his name. That is who you are. We need to get back to what the name Christian really means. It's not a political party. It's not a religious affiliation. It's not what people try to make it. It's a family name. You are part of his family, the family of Jesus. You have his name, his beautiful, wonderful, powerful name. He has given it to you. That's what it means to follow him. That's what it means to be a part of his family. Ephesians chapter 2 says we are members. We are members of God's family. Let me give you just a real quick summary of the whole Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. One sentence each. Old Testament is God's promise that he would send a savior out of the family line of Jesus. New Testament is God's invitation for you to be a part of his family, of Jesus' family. That's the whole summary. He wants you to be in his family. He welcomes you into his family. And that becomes your major identity. The Bible says this. I love the Philip paraphrase of Galatians 3.27. All of you who were baptized into Christ have put on the family likeness of Christ. You know, you may still have some of the natural traits of your earthly family. Of course you do. But the truth is, your most important identity is now in Christ. Here's what I'm saying. You might have your dad's hairline, but you're in the family line of Christ. That's who you are. You might have your mom's jawline. You're in the family line of Christ. That's who you are. Now, he doesn't force any of us into his family. He invites all of us into his family. And if you're sitting there thinking, I I don't... I've never accepted an invitation to come into his family. The invitation is given by him. He already paid for it. He already set it up by coming and being born, by dying on the cross, by being resurrected again. So he invites you into his family. And if you've never accepted that invitation, he's inviting you today. He invites everyone. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you're not sure you've ever accepted that invitation, you can... Accept it by praying, talking to him right now. Jesus is here listening to you. You just say, you don't even have to close your eyes. In prayer right now, you just say, Jesus, I accept your invitation to be part of your family. I accept the gift of your forgiveness. I accept the gift of the new life you want to give me. I didn't earn it or deserve it. It's a gift that you've given because of your love for me. I want to live the life that you've made me to live. I want to be the person that you've made me to be. I accept your gift. And he will hear that prayer. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you prayed that for the first time right now, God will keep his promise. God will keep his promise in your life. Now, the fact that your major identity is now in Christ, 
That doesn't mean you ignore your earthly family. That doesn't mean you leave your earthly family. It means that now you can have a new sense of peace with your earthly family as you deal with that family, as you love that family, because they are not your major source of worth or identity or peace. God and Jesus is your major source of worth and identity and peace, and that changes everything. So let, let me just, I mean, they put a couch here, so let me just sit down for a minute. Because, uh, so just, just like we were in a living room and we were talking personally about this, let's just talk just for a second personally about this. Because this is so important. If your family was a mess, like my family was a mess, what this is saying is your identity is not in that mess. Your identity is in the love of Jesus Christ. Your identity is in who Jesus is making you to be. And so you can live in a different way because of that. Do, do you see what that would do for a 17-year-old boy who, whose dad was schizophrenic? My identity is not in my dad. My identity is in Christ and what he's done for me. Do you see how that can give you peace with your family no matter what has happened in your, your family? Your identity is not in your family. It's in Christ. Now, some of you, you didn't have a mess of a family. I mean, no family is perfect, but you look at your family and think, it's a pretty good family. Some good things are happening. Even if you had a good family, it's not good enough. So you need to remind yourself, my identity is in Christ. Rather than struggling to make a good family good enough to cover everything, you realize your identity is in Christ. And what I've noticed with a lot of people who have good families is they, they live under a lot of pressure. There's this pressure of living up to the family name. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And there's a new freedom. There is a new peace that's going to come into your life when you recognize that your identity is now in Christ. And in that freedom, you can have peace. In that freedom, you can live a new kind of life. This is where it starts, recognizing this new identity in Christ. And I, got, I just got one more thing to share with you about this. It comes from something that was said at the first Christmas, something that the angels said to the shepherds when they announced the birth of Jesus. Luke 2:14. the angels said, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. This is just one of the verses, many verses in the Bible that says, when you're in Christ, God is pleased with you. Not because of what you do, but because of who you are in Christ. God is pleased with you. You're a new person in Christ. You don't have to be perfect for God to love you. He just loves you. You don't have to do this or do that for God to be pleased with you. He is pleased with you in Christ, that you're a part of his family. So you see what that means. Your earthly family may not be pleased with you, but your Father in heaven, he is pleased with you. And that means you don't have to live the rest of your life trying to please an unpleasable parent. You can live the rest of your life knowing that God, your Father in heaven, is pleased with you. And whatever they say or think about you, that's your most important identity. You can stop trying to earn their approval. And you can rest in the love of your Almighty Father. That makes all the difference in the world. That brings a kind of peace that you can't imagine. That's where it starts. You settle your identity. And then there's a second thing you and I can do to have peace with our family. Number two, you set your heart. You set your heart. We need to set our heart because the truth is some things need to happen in our heart with our family. We all of us have some, some family patterns that work against peace. 
That's what happens in families. You know what I'm talking about. You're, you're in a family meeting, things are happening, and then there it goes again. You just feel the pattern kicking in. Like, oh, here we go again, one more time. I've seen this movie before, and I'm going to see it again. Didn't want to see it again, but here we go, another rerun again and again. So these rerun patterns in our family, we think, i got to change that. If I'm going to have peace in my family, i got to change some of those patterns. And maybe you've gone to counseling, and maybe that counseling has helped you to understand what some of those patterns are. But good counseling will also help you to understand it's not enough just to know what the patterns are. That can help a little bit, but it doesn't give you the power to change those patterns. It doesn't give you the power to think differently about those patterns. We need a new strength in our hearts to face some of the turmoil that's going on in our families. Well, guess what? Good news. When God gave you a new identity, he also gave you a new spirit who gives you a new strength. Look at this next verse. Romans 8, 15 says, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. God's Spirit promises to give you a new strength and a new heart. Look at this verse. I love the honesty of this verse in Ezekiel 36, 26 about our new heart. God says, I will give you, I promise to give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. And I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. And I will give you a tender, responsive heart. Now, wait, wait, some of you are looking going, wait, wait, what is this about a stony, stubborn heart? Surely that is about other people in my family, right? That they have stony, st that cannot be about me. I mean, it could, I couldn't be part of the problem, could I? The truth is, we all have stubbornness sometimes. That's what creates these patterns. We all have selfishness sometimes. That's what creates the patterns. And if you're thinking, hey, I'm never stubborn, I'm never selfish, you need to look back at those words, stony, stubborn heart, and consider them this week, because we all struggle with this. And can, can you see the difference when God's power, God's spirit comes into our lives and he exchanges a stony, stubborn heart for, look at this, a tender, responsive heart. To, to work through the issues that are gnawing away at peace in your family we need the strength and power of God's Spirit. Now, here, here's the truth about ourselves. We all need a counselor, every one of us. We need a counselor with a capital C, and actually we need a bunch of counselors with a little c. Capital C counselor, little c counselors. Look at these verses. The Bible says that the capital C counselor is the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said was the name of the Holy Spirit. He said, but the counselor, capital C, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and he'll remind you of everything that I've said to you. God gives us the gift of his spirit when he adopts us into his family. And his spirit has power that we don't have to set our hearts in a different direction. Now, you also need some little C counselors. You need some people in your life that you can talk to about the specific circumstances you're facing. And they'll give you perspective. They'll give you advice. They'll give you encouragement. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, 22, plans go wrong with too few counselors, little C. But many counselors bring success. So you need a lot of counselors, a lot of friends, maybe a support group, maybe a professional counselor, probably all three of them to help you to see things that are going on in your life. But the problem is, without the capital C council, without the power to make a difference, it's just frustrating to see what the problems are. Let me just give you a simple picture of this. If I brought this lamp, 
So I got this lamp, and I try to make it work, and it's just not working. So there's a couple options if it's not working. One is I could say, well, maybe there's something wrong with the light bulb. But the truth is, as I'm holding this lamp right now, I could, uh, I could change the light bulb a hundred times. It would not work. Why? Because it's not plugged in. And if it's not plugged in, it doesn't matter how many times I change the light bulb, how many times I make a change, the light's not going to come on. Things aren't going to happen. So it starts by plugging into his power. Once you've plugged into his power, by the way, there might be a change that needs to be made. There might be a light bulb change that needs to be made. There might be a new way you need to talk. There might be a new way you need to treat people. It takes both. But until you plug into his power, you don't know what changes to make. You're not going to see the results of those changes. So here's the big question. How do you plug into his power? How do you plug in to the power of God's spirit? Well, first you get to know him, as we talked about earlier. It involves being a part of his family. And once you know Christ, once you're in Christ, he's put his spirit into your life. My encouragement is keep it simple. Don't make it something complicated. To plug into the power of his spirit means that you simply recognize that he wants to be with you every moment of every day. And I've always liked the practice of spiritual breathing where you simply you breathe out and you breathe in and you remind yourself of God's power. You breathe out and you say, I recognize your forgiveness, and you breathe in. Please fill me with your power, with your spirit. You breathe out. Let me just give you some pictures of this. You, you breathe out and you say, I give it to you. You breathe in and I receive what you've given to me, the power of your spirit. You breathe out, I let go of my plans. You breathe in, I accept your plans. You breathe out. I drop the rope of what I'm struggling with right now. And you breathe in. I recognize that I'm held on to by your love. Now, I don't want to just talk about this. I, I wanna, let's just take a second just to do it together, to literally breathe out and breathe in. So would you do that? Just breathe out with me. I recognize your forgiveness. I let go of my plans. I need your love. And breathe in. I accept your forgiveness. I accept your plans. I hold on to your love. I'm filled by your spirit. The reason I like this picture of spiritual breathing is you have to breathe all day long. It's not like you do like one good breath at the beginning of the day and say, that was great, I'm done breathing today. You're gonna breathe all day long if you're gonna survive. And if you're gonna survive spiritually, you've gotta spiritually breathe all day long. Breathe out, breathe in. Recognize I need his power all day long. And, and you mess up, and you, if you mess up, you hold your breath for a while, start to faint, you start breathing again. Breathe out, breathe in. Breathe out, breathe in. I love this verse in Ephesians 3.16. It's God's promise to us. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Will anybody need that this Christmas? Inner strength through his spirit? Here's the truth. Without the power of God's spirit, the best we can hope for in our families is temporary calm. But with the power of God's spirit, something new can happen. Genuine peace, genuine inner peace. Regardless of the circumstances, we can experience his peace. So you settle your identity. You set your heart. And then you do a third thing. I just want to touch on this for a moment but all of us know how important this is. It's just good to remind ourselves of it. Number three, you rest your body. You rest your body. 
There, there's something about our physical bodies that leads to peace. I mean, have you ever noticed in your family that the worst arguments always happen right before a meal, when everybody's hungry, when things aren't happening great physically? Anybody else notice that? And I've also noticed, you know, like I'm the teacher, so I always want to teach about this. When the argument starts, I want to teach why this is happening right now. That doesn't go well, by the way, because we haven't eaten yet. Just wanted you to know. That's what happens many times with our body and peace. They're connected to each other. So this time of the year, Christmas time, this is extremely important to remember. For, for many years, I've reminded us almost every year of the craziness, the busyness of this time of the year, when during one month of the year, we write everybody we know a card, we buy everybody we love a present, and we make every recipe in our book, and we do a lot of other things, and we wonder why we're worn out. Well, let me just add to this on the, on the family side, the family peace side. During this one month of the year, we eat more sugar than we do than the other 11 months of the year in this one month. We, we get less sleep than we get the entire rest of the year. We have a longer to-do list than we have every day than the entire rest of the year. And we wonder why there's a meltdown on Christmas morning. Of course there is. We're physically exhausted. So sometimes we just need the more simple answer. Sometimes we come up with these super spiritual answers to simple problems. So you're irritated with your family all the time during December, during this month. And the super spiritual answer is, well, I need to fast. Maybe, maybe I need to fast. Or you think, well, maybe, maybe I need to go on a spiritual pilgrimage. And God is saying to you, maybe you need to take a nap. Have you ever thought of that? Because that's what you need. You just need some rest. That's what Jesus taught us through his example. He taught us how important this is. Look at what he did with his disciples when they were worn out. The Bible says in Mark 6, 31, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Get some rest. You might circle those last three words, get some rest. If you made a commitment to memorize part of the Bible this year and you haven't done that, just memorize those three words. Just start with that, all right? Get some, put those on your refrigerator. Get some rest. Now, I know, I know, whatever we say here, this is a busy season. So how do you get rest in the midst of a busy season? I want to just give you a tip about that, something that I have found, many people have found to be helpful during a busy time. Eventually, you're going to need to get some more rest, but during some busy seasons, how do you get some peace? Well, here's the thing about peace. Peace, it takes space for peace to thrive. That's why when you get in open space, you get out in nature, peace can thrive there. You, you go to a museum, nobody else is there, it's this big open space, you feel peaceful there. It takes space. One of the spaces that peace can thrive in is in the space of the truth of God's Word. So one of the things you can do is you memorize a verse that gives you peace, and in the midst of a busy season, you take just a few moments to go to that verse and let that verse give you peace, strengthen your peace. There's a verse that I've used for many, many years that has helped me with this. In fact, Pastor Andy used this verse in one of the early messages in this series. Philippians 4.8 is a verse that has given me peace time after time after time. If there's anything that's true, he says anything that's right, anything that's pure, anything that's honorable, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good repute, 
If there's anything that's excellent or worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Now, I actually put the, the date of that particular translation because that's the date that I memorized it in the Bible I memorized it in. And that was at the very beginning of my ministry. So for all of my ministry, this has been a verse during busy times that I have gone to that has given me peace. But here's how this works. You can't just repeat the verse like a mantra. It's not the words, it's doing the words that makes the difference. So I let that lead me to think about something that's true or think about something that's lovely or think about something that is admirable or right. Or, or, or you memorize, you memorize uh, being just for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You memorize that and you say it back to yourself and you let that verse give you peace by making a request to God in that moment. Or you memorize, Mary considered all of these things in her heart. And you let that verse lead you to consider some of the truth of God's love for you in your heart. There's something about that that can give you peace in the most difficult of times. You wanna have peace with your family? You settle your heart, you set your heart, you settle your identity, you rest your body, and then number four, serve your family. Peace and serving go together. There is peace in your family when there's more serving in your family. But here's the problem. The most difficult people to serve are often the people in your family. And two reasons for this. Number one, they're always there. They are always there. If it's a service project, once a month service project, you go for the three hours, you serve, you get to go home and watch a movie. Your family, you serve them, they're still there. And they're still there the next morning. They're still there the next day. They're just always there. So you have to figure out how do I serve in that circumstance. So they're always there. That makes it a problem. The second problem is you know your family too well. You know how imperfect they are. You know how much they struggle. You know how selfish they are. You know how they take advantage of you sometimes. You know what they've said about you. So it's easy to look at your family and say they don't deserve to be served. That's how you feel. And you know what? You're right. They don't deserve to be served, but guess what? You don't deserve to be served either. None of us are perfect. All of us struggle with selfishness. It's just by the grace of God and the love of God for every single one of us. But this truth that we are close to our family and we know our family, it's why it takes great humility to serve. Bible says in 1 Peter 5, and all of you, serve each other in humility. For God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. Serving and humility, they, they just go together. We serve out of humble love. We serve out of humble gratefulness for God's love for us. Now, let me, let me just say three quick things about this. First of all, truth is, your family will probably be your greatest test of humble service because they are so close, because we do struggle with each other. But your family will also be the place where you grow the most through humbly serving. The places of greatest struggle in our lives are also the places of greatest growth in our lives. So you're not going to be perfect at this next week, but you can struggle to grow every single week with this. Uh, second thing, truth is when we stop serving in our families, we lose peace in our families. If we stop serving, then we're living in selfishness. And if you're living in selfishness, you're living in pride. There's no, pri there's no peace when you're living in pride. There's just confusion. There's just turmoil. There's just anger. So serving is what makes all the difference. 
And then there's a third thing I want to say to some of you about this. It may be that there's some people in your family that's just not safe to be with. And my concern with a message like this is that your heart might be saying, well, maybe God's saying to me, I need to put myself back in that unsafe situation. And I'm saying, no, no. There's a way that you can serve without being in an unsafe situation, just by praying for the person, just by praying that God would speak to their hearts, would change their lives. Don't walk back into an unsafe situation in order to serve. Start praying in order to serve. Now, when it comes to serving your family, you might think, okay, where's some examples of that? I'm going to give you an example from the life of Jesus. Did you know Jesus spent a lot of time serving his family? He didn't start his ministry until he was 30 years old. What did he do for the first 30 years of his life? He served his family. And even as he started his ministry, he started it by serving his family. Jesus' first miracle was done in serving his family. When he turned water into wine, his first miracle, he did it at a family wedding. And when you look closely at what happened that day, there's all kinds of family dynamics here that you will be able to relate to, no doubt about it. Let's look at what happened. John 2, 1 to 3. Next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Okay, anybody in a family, you know what's going on here. You're having a family party, family Christmas dinner, whatever. Somebody comes up to you, your, your mom, your dad, your wife, your husband, whatever, comes up to you, looks at you and says, we've run out of ice. There's sort of an expectation there, right? They're telling you this for a reason. They're hoping something's going to happen. Like, you've got to go get some ice. That's the moment that's happening here. Family dynamics. Well, Jesus has an answer for his mother. You're going to love his answer. You're going to relate to his answer. Here's what Jesus said up on the screen. Jesus said, dear woman, why do you involve me? <laughs> Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. You, you are going to love. This is the answer you have been looking for all your life, some of you. The Jesus answer, the Bible answer for this moment. Someone comes to you and says, we've run out of ice. And you say, my time has not yet come. <laughs> this is your answer. You're like Jesus when you give this answer. Now, now Jesus eventually is going to turn the water into wine. And you're eventually going to go get the ice, by the way. So you may as well just do it with love in the first place. So, <laughs> so, so Jesus is eventually going to do this. He says my time has not yet come, and that's true. It wasn't time yet for him to show his power. So he chooses to do it in a different way. Jesus serves, and he turns the water to wine. But he does it quietly. He does it behind the scenes. Most of the people there don't see Jesus serve, but everyone there notices that he served. They start to say, hey, this wine we're drinking now, it is better than the wine that you were serving at the beginning of the party. Most people serve the best wine first. You're serving the best wine last. Everybody noticed, everybody noticed that he served. And that's the point. When you make the choice in your family to serve, everyone might not see it, but everyone's going to notice it. It will change the temperature of your family. One simple act of service can change the temperature of a family. One simple act of service can be the key that unlocks things for your family. Now, I know in the reality of life, it may not happen. I know other people can continue to be stubborn or selfish. But I also know, I've seen so many times, 
when one simple act of service unlocks something where a family changes. So when it comes to who's going to serve first when there's struggles in a family, I want to encourage you, you be the one to serve first. Everyone may not know or thank you that you serve, but you're going to change the temperature of your own heart, and you're going to potentially change the temperature of your family by that simple act of service. Now, I know you're thinking, I'm not like Jesus. I mean, I, I can't turn water to wine. Well, your family might think it was a miracle if you just turned dirty dishes into clean. That would be a miracle for some of you, right? I mean, he is washing dishes, not watching football. Jesus is real. God is real. Jesus is coming again, everybody. Come on. It's happening right now. <laughs> when, I, when I first started following Jesus, older teenage boy, I wanted my family to know about the love of Christ. I was the first follower of Christ in my family. And uh, so I, I thought about what, what can I say to them to show them the love of Christ? What, what verse can I share with them? And one of our teachers said to us, you know, your family's not going to be impressed by what you say or what you share. They're going to be impressed by what you do. They're going to be impressed by how you serve. So they, they actually, he actually gave us this. Why don't you, instead of trying to find a Bible verse for your family, why don't you start vacuuming even if you're not asked? So I took that seriously. I mean, do you know what an alien thought that was to a teenage boy, to vacuum without being asked? But I actually started doing that. Not just once, but several times. And it's one of the things that caused my mom to see that Jesus Christ had made a genuine difference in my life. It came through serving. And God can give you the power to do that. Only God can give you the power to do that. That kind of change, that kind of difference in your life. Now, when you and I think about serving each other, truth is, this is something I still got to figure out daily. I don't have this one figured out. We all are going to struggle with selfishness the rest of our lives. And we need God's strength and God's power to choose to serve one another. I mean, Shondell loves it when I do a message on serving your family, because guess what? I'm a lot better at serving my family those weeks that I do a message on that, because I'm thinking about it all the time. But what about next week, and the week after that, and the week after that? I need God's power to unselfishly serve the people that I love. And I'm going to be struggling with this the rest of my life. I want to invite you to struggle with me. Let's struggle together towards serving one another in love. Now, before we close, just one more way that we can serve each other. Not just in our families, but we can serve everyone, especially this time of the year, especially this particular week. Romans 1.9 says this, God has seen how I never stop praying for you while I serve him with all my heart and tell the good news about his son. I serve him with all my heart by telling the good news about his son. There is no better time than this week to tell the good news of Jesus because it's the week that we celebrate the birth of Jesus together all over the place. So I want to encourage you this week, celebrate the birth of Jesus by inviting someone to one of our Christmas services. In fact, here's something I do many years. You've seen me do this before, so don't let it shock you guys. I know pastors don't usually ask you to do this. Would you get your phone out right now? Just everybody. Even if you're not going to do anything with it, just get it out to make the person next to you feel comfortable. Just grab your phone real quick. Have it in your hand. Because here's what I want to ask you while you have your phone in your hand. Is there a name that comes into your mind right now? Somebody that you could invite this next week? Because what happens to me is I get busy. And all of a sudden, the Christmas services are here and over, and I forgot to invite somebody. 
So if there's a name, why not invite them right now? Hey, we're sitting in church, talking about our Christmas services. Love to have you be there. Just text them right now. Let them, you don't have to wait. Let them know right now. If you want, think of somebody you know is already coming. Text the person sitting next to you, hey, are you coming? It'll start the ball rolling at least, okay? Text anybody you want and invite them to the Christmas Eve services. And I, I especially want to encourage you to invite somebody you've invited before. I, I'm saying that because a couple years ago, there was a guy, I'd invited him several years. Every year he had the same answer, I'll come next year. And so I finally thought, I'm not going to bug him again. I'm just bugging him. I'm not going to write him. So I didn't write him. He calls me. And he says, when are the Christmas Eve services? I said I'd come next year. I just didn't believe him. He already was planning to come. So who have you already invited that you might just invite him again? Let him know about it. I also, during this time of the year, in the, in the seat racks in front of you, you can tear apart these just little cards. I stick these in my pocket this next week. You can stick them in your pocket or purse. So if I'm walking through Home Depot and I see somebody, I can just pull it out if we're having a conversation and say, hey, I'd love to have you come. And it lets them know the times of the Christmas services. Let me just say this to you about the Christmas Eve services. Your invitation to someone to come to those services, that is the most important part of those services. I know our music's gonna be awesome. It's always awesome music. And I'm absolutely certain that Pastor Andy's message is gonna be straight to the heart. But it's your invitation to somebody you care about and love to come and hear some good news. Come hear about hope, come hear about love, come hear about joy. That is what makes the greatest difference every year at Christmas. So who are you gonna invite? I wanna close by praying, praying for two things. First, praying together for peace in our families. And particularly praying for some of you, I know this is an area of real struggle, real hurt, real pain. And we want to pray for you together. And then I also want to pray together for our Christmas services. Would you pray with me? And first, Lord, together we want to pray for those who are really struggling in their families right now. They need your peace. Inner peace, whatever the circumstances. We ask that you'd lift them into your love. We ask that you'd let them know that you're near no matter what they're facing. And Lord, even in the sadness and the struggle, we know that you will never fail us or let us down. I pray that you would let that truth be clear into the center of our hearts. And all of us, Jesus, whatever the circumstances of our family right now, we want peace in our family. And so we ask right now that you settle our identity into you, who you are. You'd set our hearts on the strength that only you can give us to change. You'd help us to have the wisdom to rest our bodies. And you'd give us the humility to serve our families. And as we pray, Lord, we also want to pray as a church family for our Christmas services this next week. We ask you, Jesus, to invite many people in through our words, through your spirit, to hear the good news of your love, to hear the good news of the joy and the hope that only you can give into our hearts. And we pray that this year as we celebrate Christmas, we'd celebrate many, many new people coming into your family. We, we ask this together in faith. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.